You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. From across the stars, Commanders Michael Cohen, Matthew Krenke, and the Ragtag Crew are here to bring you stories of adventure and excitement from a galaxy far, far away. Get ready for tales of merciless bounty hunters, courageous heroes, and sinister villains from the core worlds to the outer rim and beyond. Hello there and welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian Chapter 2. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and with me uh, is my co-host from Quiver the Green Arrow podcast, Amanda Konkin. It's a different intro. Yes. I almost like interrupted you to try to be like, I'm your other co-host because yeah. it's, it's I'm not used to not to being on someone else's podcast, I guess. Quiver, Quiver is also your show, but this isn't also your show. I know, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a little different. Um, co-host. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I do promise everybody that I did sort of check in with Mike about what I'm supposed to do on this podcast before I started. So I apologize that it's off to a rock. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to talk uh, on this episode about the Mandalorian chapter two, the child. Oh, there, there, I had lost my phone and it wasn't making the ping sound. And then it just started right now. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it, this episode is somehow like it's subtitled The Child when like episode one or Should chapter have... one was just chapter one. Right. Yeah. There was no there was no subtitle. So uh, it'll be interesting to see with the third episode airing this Friday, whether or not it also has a subtitle. But uh, oh, I didn't know that they don't let you know that ahead of time. That's interesting because I haven't been like really like looking at the like IMDb's or whatever. It's so. this is so yeah. This one this is a little bit different than most other stuff. Um, we're kind of a little bit in uncharted territory. Um, most network television shows obviously air week by week, um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of promotion that goes into into that, and there's a whole machine of right. PR and uh and and you know press releases and and all of that sort of thing um with disney plus it's a streaming platform so you're subscribed to it they've already got your money right like the number that they're looking for is the number of paying subscribers and they've already got it and then like it's like you watch it or you don't watch it it's up to you right um, yeah. And you can watch it whenever you want, and a lot of people, I'm sure, are going to wait to binge. So they don't. They're not. They're not necessarily like they're definitely saying like, "Oh, hey, the new episode's out now," but it's not. It's not like um, even a, another Star Wars show, uh, Star Wars Resistance, where like I get an email every week from from Lucasfilm of like, "Here are the screenshots from the episode. Here's a link to the YouTube." 
uh, uh, preview of, of the episode. Here's the description, all of that stuff. And even before then, there are descriptions on IMDb and other websites um, well in advance. But but with this, yeah, all, all that we know about Chapter 3 is that it airs this Friday. And uh, there's a brief description. The, the battered Mandalorian returns to his client for his reward. And that's Whoa. it. Um, oh, he like makes it all the way back. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I'm sure that he's not going to make it back easily. <laughs> um, and he might, uh, when he realizes what's going on, he might uh, he might have a change of heart. I'm thinking that's happen? what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah. Um, so, okay. So in the first episode, there was the doctor guy with, uh, yeah. with him, uh, with the client. And, uh, he had a patch on his arm. Um, and it's, it's hard to see in the actual episode, but, uh, but uh, some people have screenshotted this and, uh, it's only, it's, it's just a partial look at the symbol that's on his arm on this patch, but mm-hmm. it's very, it's pretty clear that it's this, this same symbol that the, the, um, the Kaminoans would use to indicate clones. Um, so like the clones would, would have it on their, on their uniforms or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, the, the, the indication there is that they want the, the child to, to do some sort of cloning with, um, so you have done a whole first episode and I assume people that are listening to this are like, I mean, it could be any, any a range of people that are like really hardcore or just like watching the Mandalorian just for fun. But from, I'm approaching this where this is my first sort of foray into like the television territory of star Wars, because I haven't much to your chagrin, I'm sure Mike watched, um, clone wars or rebels, uh, yet. So it's very interesting for me. This is my first sort of star mm. Wars thing to dive into from a television perspective. And I know that you have a lot of different yeah. things you're referencing and, and other things. But for me, I just want to clarify, like, this seems like a very big deal that there's like a baby Yoda. Like I'm not wrong in assuming that, right? Like in terms of like shows that can bring in other things and also I was very upset with myself that I didn't know the species that Yoda is. And then I realized in Googling it that nobody actually knows what the species is called. Is that correct? Or is there an actual like name for his species? Like what is going on with the baby Yoda thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first question is, uh, yeah, it is a big deal. Um, uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, there isn't an official canon name for the species, um, George Lucas often refers to Yoda as a frogling, um, oh. which is a which is a reference to the fact that that Yoda was created by um, uh, Jim Henson Studios, right? Right, um, right. And shares some DNA with uh, <laughs> with Kermit. So, um, so yeah. Whenever I'm referring to 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 Yoda's species, I generally say frogling. Um, I also use the term laser sword a lot uh, to talk about lightsabers, which is something that George Lucas did a lot. Um, and, there, and there's actually there's a quote that was going around uh, uh, last week in between the episodes, um, but it kind of it, it kind of trended up uh, uh, after the second episode aired, and it's something that George said. Uh, 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 he said he said dare to be cute, um, <laughs> and it's something uh, that that I think um, 
I don't think it's something that I know a lot of, uh, the older male star Wars fans have a real issue with, um, uh, you know, it, it dates back as far as, uh, as, as, um, return of the Jedi with the Ewoks. Um, and that was sort of, that's where that came up in conversation, uh, in an interview with George. So like, that's, that's kind of his, one of his, um, sort of ethos in, in making star Wars. And when you think about it, once you hear, like, once you hear that quote and you think back to star Wars, it's like, Oh no. Yep. There's, there are cute elements in every single one of the stories. Um, I mean, like even going back to a new hope, R2D2 is cute. I mean, yeah, of course he is R2. Yeah. Like we could have just as easily had, c-3po and then another robot like c-3po um but uh but instead we get this weird little like tin can droid and, and bb-8 as well is so cute yeah yeah All the droids are so cute yeah Aww. so it's it's like a it's a it it's important it's an important part of of star wars that you have cute characters with uh with um you know like like these adorable elements because it, it's for kids at the end of the day but i people i don't know i i'm not seeing a ton of negative reactions online but i am kind of anecdotally hearing of some negativity and some of it is around um <laughs> I just don't think that people get Star Wars anymore. Like I like I'm just kind of I'm at a loss with with a lot of people like like Amanda, you know, like I, I deal with this in my in my regular life and, and I get so tired of it. Something big happens with Star Wars, like the Mandalorian premieres and everybody, everybody, all the lay people are like, so what did you think? <laughs> and it's like, what did I think? I think a lot of things about this, mm-hmm. none of it is going to be comprehensible to you. Not because you're dumb, just because like you don't, you don't star Wars the way that I star Wars. And I, right. Like, but it's something that I was thinking about too. Like I don't have comprehensive knowledge of star Wars, but I like had a star Wars trivial pursuit game. I was playing with my cousins over the summer and realized that I know a lot of like stupid things that nobody else knows about. And the idea that like planets that have names that I am aware of. And then me being like, I'm disappointed in myself for not knowing the name of this planet. And then realizing that nobody really thinks that when they're watching a show, but because it's star Wars and you know that there's all these other things that you like can dive into. You're like only scratching the surface. If you're just like watching it, (laughs) you're like, there's all these things though. Yeah, it, it, um, yeah, it, there, there are two ways to watch Star Wars. There's the way that we do, which is that every single frame is important. Every single line is important. Every location, every character, every vehicle, every everything is important, right? In some way or another. Um, and then there's the way that I think that most people watch Star Wars, which is, uh, that laser swords are cool. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the majority of people uh just general human beings um they think that star wars is supposed to be a video game and 
and there's a bit of a I think especially after this week there's a there's a bit of a reaction to the Mandalorian and this I I said going into this I said it on the rebel on on rebel cells uh to Matt that I was a little bit worried that that this show wouldn't be what people think it it's going to be sort of thing like I think that people had set an expectation based on the trailers that this was basically going to be um like I said, I said earlier today to somebody like the I, I, John Wick with oh. with Boba Fett, right? Like I, I think that that's what people thought the show was going to be, and although it definitely has those elements, right? It that is not what it is. This is a Star Wars story through and through, and I mean, like it, it there's no there was no doubt in my mind that it would be with John Favreau and Dave Filoni making it they they know what star wars is they get it that it's more than just uh lasers and spaceships and cool helmets right like there's there's important elements to star wars that you need to maintain and uh and 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 the child is definitely a key to that it's there's a there's a sense of mystery and wonder with that character that honestly i think is has maybe been missing from a lot of the newer stuff um there's definitely been awesome stuff and i mean awesome in the in the sense of like oh wow like 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 actual awe the real use of the word awesome in in the sequel trilogy and in rogue one and solo but solo got into it a little bit because solo was a little bit more fun than the other movies but um but there is that there is a, a dynamic of of just like kind of childlike wonder that that isn't as present as I think it was in the original trilogy. Certainly not as present as, as it was in in the Phantom Menace, which I think is probably the most sort of like in your face example of that. Um, but but John Favreau, who who wrote all of these episodes, has managed to like really hone in on that part of Star Wars but still make it make it a part of it that doesn't it doesn't detract from anything like this character is unbelievably cute and adorable and everybody just wants a plushie oh, and they plushies so much i want a plushie so bad <laughs> yeah but at the same time um it, it when we see him on screen we don't lose sight of of the narrative of of like the, the thread with the Mandalorian himself. So that's a really difficult thing to balance, right? Cause, cause obviously when we think about the Phantom Menace, Jar Jar is supposed to serve a similar purpose, but he's a little bit too in your face. And then you see Sebulba and Sebulba is a little bit too in your face. And it's just, everything's just kind of it. The knob is cranked just a little bit too high on that stuff that instead of it being this this joyful sense of wonder it's a it's almost like kind of hitting you over the head with like a, oh that's supposed to be silly that's supposed to i'm supposed to laugh at that i'm supposed to whatever right like the the most prequel ish moment in this episode is definitely when when he eats the frog mm-hmm. right we're kind of we're we're kind of skipping ahead into the into the recap a little bit but um we're going to get into news in a sec, but, but like, it's just kind of, um, 
it's a funny moment. It's it's lighthearted, and and there's a couple of other ones in the episode. Uh, but but they're few and far between because the tone of this is is definitely more on the serious side. But I think that a lot of a lot of Star Wars fans, and I think a lot of general fans, they wanted the born identity in space, right? Like they they just wanted him to be running down hallways, punching, kicking, and shooting people. Right. Um, and I I was this I was talking to somebody or the same person earlier today and saying that like people think that they want these characters that don't encounter conflict. They always do the right thing. They always win. Like people think they want that, but that's not, that's not a story. Right. Right. If your hero just accomplishes everything he's supposed to accomplish and there's never a challenge, there's never stakes, there's never any drama to it, then what's the point? Right. Because otherwise it, it like it is just a video game and not I, obviously I'm not demeaning a vi- demeaning video games. I'm in the middle of playing Jedi Fallen Order right now and it has one of the best Star Wars stories um, of this era. So like you can tell a great story inside of a video game. But when I say video game, I'm talking like like a Pac-Man arcade video game right where it's like what's the story of pac-man oh yeah that's right there is no story to pac-man you just got to eat the dots and that's that's what that's what that would be like and after two episodes of it you would be like okay cool i think i'm good like like yeah parkour is neat but i don't just want to watch skate videos all day right like right and and so i don't know it's I'm kind of waiting to see what the general vibe is because I, 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 I don't think that we actually have a consensus in the world, like out there in the world, yeah. uh, as to as to how people are are receiving this show. But uh, the pessimist in me, I think, is is winning and and thinking that that at the end, by the end of this, there's going to be a lot of people going like, yeah, I guess it was cool, but you know. I just thought it was going to be way better than it was. And for me, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is some of the best Star Wars that we've gotten in the entirety of the saga. And we're two episodes in, right? Like this, this episode we're about to talk about is, is so good. And there's barely any dialogue. There's certainly barely any English spoken in this episode. Um, and and several of the characters, yeah, like don't speak or don't speak English, right? Um, it's 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 such bold and interesting storytelling, and it's and it it's embracing the fact that it's Star Wars to a degree that I don't think that anything else since the original trilogy has. Even think, the the prequels don't embrace Star Wars as much as this has. No, um, not at all. And the thing that was fun about Solo was it was one of the first times that you heard like one of the main characters speaking a different language, like when he tries to talk to Chewie. Yeah. And so it was really, really cool when um, he was like speaking to the Jawas and then they like made it the thing and like made fun. I don't know. It's just like you don't see that. And that is like a little bit of fun, but also like you forget that this world has people in it that speak not just what is it galactic something basic basic yeah 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 yeah. there's all sorts of elements in this in this episode and in the story in general that that um it really just kind of flavors the the galaxy and 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 that's to me that's that's kind of the best thing about the show other than the music the music is the best part of the show Mm -hmm. by far 
Um, but but that the other element of it that I love is just just all of the sort of texture and flavor that it's adding to this part of the Star Wars galaxy. Um, and it's really informing a lot of stuff about where the galaxy was at after the the fall of the empire and it kind of it sets up some stuff i think for the sequel era that that people aren't picking up on in in the sequel era which is that um some people were really happy with the empire right yeah right like like i was i was actually just started rewatching rogue one i've just got it downloaded on my phone i'm kind of watching it in chunks um because obviously i've seen it like six or seven times at this point. So I'm just kind of, kind of watching it piece by piece. And one of the things that I noticed on this, on this rewatch that I'm in the middle of is that Krennic, the guy who's building the death star, right? Right. Yeah. He doesn't see himself as a bad guy. Right. Even remotely. Like I think, I think, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, he looks at himself and he's like, like he, he he doesn't think of himself as a villain but i don't think that he he has any illusions that he doesn't commit evil right like right like he he's the one who's like i have a plan i know what we'll do we'll basically threaten to blow up her planet in order to get the information that we want and we're just going to blow it up anyways right like like he knows that he's a bad guy but right. but krennic is this imperial uh, officer who he really thinks that like what he's doing is working to like maintain peace and order. Right. And it's kind of, he's, he's kind of a, a, a good example of the worst kind of cop. You know what I mean? Like where right. it's like, yeah. well, we're going to go in and we're going to, we're going to stop these guys and beat the crap out of them because they're criminals and we're cops and, you know, that's what we got to do in order to keep people safe. And it's like, well, what about those people that you're not keeping safe by then, you know, beating the crap out of them. Right. Which is, like I said, it's an example of the worst kind of cop. I'm not saying that all cops are like that. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, 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 Krennic is that, that is sort of that, that type of guy who's, he's like, the ends justify the means. He's like, he says to Galen, he's, he's like, well, this is, this is how we're going to maintain peace and order. And, uh, and Galen says, so it seems more like terror to me. And, and he's like, well, you know, if, if, if you gotta, if that's what it takes. Right. And so right. he's not, he's not evil in, in the strictest sense. He's driven and ambitious and self-centered, but not, he's not Darth Vader, Darth Sidious evil. Right. And I think that that's how the Empire was viewed by a lot of people. It's like, well, I don't necessarily... It's actually very similar to kind of some American politics, not to get too quiver or thunderquack on everybody. Uh, yeah. But it's the it's kind of the same idea of, of like, well, I don't agree with these politics, but the trains run on time, right? Like, it's that, it's that sort right. of mentality. Yeah. Um, and... And this show is is firmly in the in the point in time where um, what we're seeing is lawlessness is kind of running rampant because there is no there is no system 
right now, right? Like the new new Republic doesn't have the resources to police the entire galaxy. Um, and, uh, nor do they even want to, they want systems to be independent to police themselves, but it's been 40 years since anybody has had to do that 30, 40 years. Right. So all the, like all of these places, especially in the outer rim, which is where the story is taking place. Like it's just lawlessness. It's just, it's the, the underworld has taken over. Bounty hunters are, are obviously, uh, just making a killing literally in some cases. Uh, uh, and, and, and yet, like like he says in the first episode, he's like five thousand. That's barely enough to refuel. So clearly, like the economy is out of whack. Nothing is working the way it's supposed to, and that is great subtext for how the first order can just come in twenty years later and be like, "Hey guys, uh, we're all about order. It's in the name." Uh, and 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 some people across the galaxy are like you know what i think that these guys have a point like it like the trains ran on time when there were stormtroopers around yeah sure they beat the crap out of some people but like not me so you know like like i'm i'm a i'm a privileged rich person so what do i care right like they're not gonna subjugate me um not understanding that that yeah, they will, right? Like you are subjugated whether you think you are or not. But I uh, but it's kind of it's this is really like setting that up for the sequel era to to tell that story and that's a bit of the subtext. It's it's kind of lost in the Force Awakens and like I'll, I'll be honest, like it's not as clear in that story as it should be for the wider audience as to like how is the first order around? Like, right. like, why do they look like the Empire? Why are people just okay with that? Um, but in in the tertiary storytelling, so in the books and the comics and and video games and stuff, uh, it's really clear that that's part of the story. That that some parts of the galaxy are like, yeah, you know what? I think that this first order's kind of got the right idea, um, and that's why Leia is fighting the new Republic and the first order kind of on two fronts politically with the new Republic and then actually fighting the first order. I mean, the other part of it is that the first, like the new Republic is so worried about themselves that they don't want to get involved with this, this, these splinter groups, these, these basically extremist groups Mm -hmm. um, of the resistance, which is like Antifa. Right. And, (laughs) and, the first order who are neo-nazis right and meanwhile uh it's like it like it's very similar to to the current political climate in the united states the actual government is like you know what there there are bad people on both sides right like it's like the the analogies kind of just prove themselves out uh (laughs) with that and that's that's where we're at in the sequel trilogy that leads to leia sending out a message and nobody responding right? right because one of two things is happening either people don't want to get actually i guess three things people don't want to get involved they're afraid to get involved or they've actually they're actually like well maybe this isn't so bad right, right. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and I mean, sadly, not to go all quiver in politics, but that is sort of the state of the world mm-hmm. towards sort of. Yeah. Not just the United yeah. States. It's kind yeah, of all over. Just like everybody, it's like path of least resistance, right? Yeah. They're like, well, I'm not the one that is like being denied healthcare or the right to live or yeah. anyways. And so you're like, well, until it becomes my problem. And that's, you know, yeah, the core problem <laughs> with many things. So, yeah, that's what like. So to bring it back to the Mandalorian, that's where I really enjoy this show and the story that they're telling, because although it is, it is a very character driven story about this specific person in, in the galaxy, um, it it's informing so much more about the larger story. And I think that it has the opportunity and hopefully by the end of the series or the season, we've explored this a little bit more and, and made it a little bit more explicit for the wider audience, what the galaxy is like right. um, in this period and how that's going to lead to the first order and then how that leads to, to the resistance. Because when I hear people talk about the sequel trilogy, um, just sort of, you know, muggles, normies, <laughs> I, I, non-mutants, I, they talk about it in the sense of like, none of this story makes any sense. Why, why is princess Leia not part of the Republic and like all this, like, it's like, well, there's, it's all subtextual storytelling and it's meant to be intentionally vague in the same way that it's intentionally vague in a new hope where we've come in, in media res, right? Like the story is already in, progress um and we're we're playing catch up the whole time the the difference is that that we didn't have the internet in 1977 so people just had to think about it themselves and talk to their friends about it um and the internet wouldn't be a thing until we had expanded universe to explore everything and the first prequel was out so we kind of had a lot of our answers but but now we have the internet, so everybody wants to just like kind of pick stuff apart, and uh, I mean, what, that's what we're doing here on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and so if you don't answer it in that story, it's it's just going to end up on a podcast or on a website of like five things they didn't want you to know in the Force Awakens or some <laughs> stupid headline like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a. Uh, it, I, I really hope that this allows people to sort of more fully understand that story and and then hopefully enjoy it a little bit more. Um, but now, that's so- that's the optimist in me. The pessimist is like they're not going to. But the optimist is like, I really hope this helps them. But, but. can can people also just enjoy that? What I hope is going to happen is like a buddy cop movie, except with like a guy and a baby. Like, come on. <laughs> Well, nope. yeah, this That's is totally what I got from this episode. This so. is such a <laughs> such a a, a, a well tread trope. I love uh, it. <laughs> I of the the gruff, I I loner, I uh, and the 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 you know the the child like the, yeah the, yeah the, the child that like protecting. throws their life into chaos and that yeah. they have to protect and they like begrudgingly are like oh this kid is more effort than it's worth and you're like don't touch my baby yeah. like I don't, i'm just it's I'm very it's, excited. it's aria and the hound right like it's the same yeah, as that totally, it's totally. it's lone wolf and cub like this is 
it's it's such a great trope um and it's just being applied to star wars and it's a very it's a very common western uh trope as well because a lot of the time westerns are about the lone gunman and and uh, mm-hmm. but that would be a boring story if it was just about one guy and he didn't care about anything so where do you create the story you create the story in in the connection to another human being uh, or in this case the connection between a a a, a man wearing a, a tin helmet and a, and a baby frog. Um, <laughs> but, <love> it. <laughs> uh, as we always talk about, that's why genre is so great because you can wrap these very human stories in this fantastic uh, uh, coating, <laughs> right? <laughs> this fantastic <laughs> coat of paint. And, um, and people don't realize that they're learning a life lesson because they're too busy going like that little Muppet is super cute. Um, <laughs> but it also, it is super cute. It is super cute. Uh, let's jump into news really quick. I, so um, EW released an image this morning of, uh, it's basically just the Falcon cockpit and it's Poe, Finn, and Chewbacca on the cock, in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Um, obviously from Rise of Skywalker. And, uh, and, and Poe is piloting. He's actually he's in Han's seat and he's oh, he's yeah. doing the thing. Um, it, I who was piloting it previously because I definitely have seen have I not seen any interior shots of them in the Falcon for this series this for Rise. Am I, yeah, am I uh, just thinking no, of all the previous ones? We, we have and in in every other shot it's been Ray Orlando uh, right in in the in the the main pilot seat um, in Han's seat so. Right. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> this picture went out, and uh, and and I sensed it in the force as if a million fanboys cried out in joy, um, <laughs> because finally, at long last, a man was behind the cockpit, uh, the behind the controls in the cockpit <laughs> of the Falcon again. Um, I, that's yeah, not even that's I not. Was, I'm being smug about it, but it's not actually a joke. Like I saw a lot of tweets that were the subtext of those tweets was like this I can get behind. Wow. Really? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's super, I just don't understand why we live on the internet. Super upsetting, super, super upsetting. Cause I, I mean, Freddie Prince jr. Put it the best when he said that you're all just mad because Han Solo gave the millennium Falcon to a girl. Um, I mean, and like, I, I totally, I stand by that assessment. I think that's why a lot of people have problems with the sequel trilogy. Um, but I, uh, I mean, like, so this is this is my guess. I think people are expecting like, oh, Poe's going to be flying the Millennium Falcon for the whole movie. No, I don't even think Ray's going to fly it that much. I think this is literally from the beginning of the movie. Um, because the way that Oscar Isaac has been talking about, uh, about his story with, with Poe and, Mm -hmm. um, where we're left in, uh, Resistance Reborn, which is the novel that just came out a couple weeks ago. Um, Finn and Poe have been tasked by Leia to go out and collect as many allies as they can. Right. I think that the movie starts with them returning from one of these missions, the, the, these three returning mm-hmm. from a mission. I think it's going to be them returning from finding Lando 
and bringing him to the resistance. Um, And there's another, there's another image that we've seen. uh, Oh, Lando's driving the ship. I've seen Lando driving the ship. Yeah. Um, yeah, There's another image that we've seen of the, our three main characters at the landing, like basically down the ramp of the Falcon on the jungle planet. I think that, so this is my guess is that this is this shot. I don't think this is an actual shot. This is a publicity still, but this moment is them bringing the Falcon back into whatever planet. The red lighting makes me think that maybe it's because I think that that jungle planet is Yavin four. So maybe yeah. like Yavin is red. It's a big red gas giant, right? So maybe that, that lighting is coming from that. Maybe it's coming from blasters, but, um, I think that they're piloting in to, to Yavin four and, uh, uh, returning from one of their missions and Ray is on the planet or I guess it's a moon technically, um, training. And that's what we've seen in the trailers, right? Is her training with the remote and, uh, she throws the lightsaber and calls it back to her or whatever. And then she notices that the Falcon is back and that's when we see her running, through the jungle to get back to the base oh. to meet them there. Cause she hasn't seen them in a little bit and they've been out on a mission. So, um, yeah. So I, and then from there they'll get their mission from Leia and go out, uh, uh, to, to, to go do their thing. Um, that's my guess. That's what I think. I, uh, that's there's a lot of me making speculate like up from one big, image yeah you're, big yeah. big jumps but yeah. but i yeah i think that 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 jungle planet is gonna because we haven't seen a ton of it we've kind of just seen these these little brief moments of of sort of feeling like the resistance is gathering their strength there um and it see it feels to me like that's where they're basically going to get their mission and, and then go off and go to Pasana. And then Pasana is going to lead them to, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the moon. That's the, the water. It's like grasslands and water where oh, the death star is. How do you not know crashed. the name of that planet? Because it so clearly is something that's very obvious. And I remember exactly. What it's only been mentioned in talking. one article about, um, <laughs> It's not even on StarWars.com. It was on, I think it was on the Disney Parks blog about um, Rise of Skywalker stuff being added into uh, Star Tours, and and they and they named that moon that the Death Star crashed onto. Gotcha. Um, so I, I, more speculation, but I think that the that moon that the Death Star has crashed onto is another moon of Endor, that that. Right. The, the the sanctuary moon, which is the, the, the forest moon, uh, is the one where there are Ewoks, but that there's this other moon where where the, the Death Star crashed, um, where the, the pieces of debris. It might also just be in that system because if if the Death Star explodes, it, it should theoretically have enough velocity to launch a, a, a chunk of it across a solar system. Um, Star Wars doesn't actually make sense. Just, just so we're all clear, it's <laughs> it's space wizards. Wait, what? <laughs> and, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see with that stuff. Um, the other thing that I that I wanted to talk about before we get into the full episode recap is I, uh, I along with this article, there was a video with Oscar Isaac where he talks about a few things about Finn and Poe's story. 
but he gets into um the romantic angle for a second and i it kind of bums me out because my hope was that disney was going to be really bold with this movie and make a choice and do something exciting and put the two of them together definitively in this story have that be a thing Um, But Oscar Isaac talks about it in a way he doesn't specifically say yes or no, but he talks about it in a way he might just be lying in the same way that Ewan was lying to us for the last five years of, yeah, I don't know. I'm if I'm, I'm just waiting for the phone call. Meanwhile, the second that Disney bought Lucasfilm, they called him and were like, we want to make an Obi-Wan something with you. Right. Um, And they've been working on it since then. So, uh, yeah, he might just be kind of fibbing in the same way, but in order to preserve surprise for us, but, uh, his, the, his, the sense of disappointment that I got from him, uh, leads me to believe that he's, he's, he's feeling the same way that I'm going to feel coming out of this movie. I, they're not going to explicitly do anything in Rise of Skywalker, but he did say in this interview that it is left open as a possibility. Um, and mm. yeah, I, I just, I just really want them to buck that trend. But I don't think they will. I like, don't think that they will like, either. Just, I just don't think they have enough. I don't know. But like, like I, my thing with it is that more than it, this isn't an SJW thing for me. This is, um, I think, I think because of the the social justice warrior in me, uh, and because uh, because I do care about diversity and representation and stuff like that, that I've made myself open to possibility, um, and because I'm open to the possibility, the 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 chemistry between these two actors that I think really stems from like a, a, a love and admiration between Oscar Isaac and John Boyega that translates on screen as just this electricity between the two of them. Um, they have more chemistry than any other pairing of characters in the sequel trilogy. And like I include Ray and Kylo Ren in that and and we're supposed to feel chemistry between the two of them. And I'm not saying that I don't. I definitely feel that conflict with Ray's character and the weird obsessive nature of of Kylo Ren's character. But it's different cuz that's the story telling us how we're supposed to feel. Right. Whereas with Finn and Poe the story indicates nothing about these two being romantically linked. And yet there's all of these moments in the two movies and then in resistance reborn as well in this book, um, there's a really great moment. This is a bit of a spoiler, but, but I'm going to go for it anyways. There's a bit of a moment where they're, they're meant to go on a mission together. Um, or Poe is going on a mission and, uh, they, they've got this thing, this uh, this auction that they're going to go to, and they've been given tickets. So they've got they have four tickets, and two of the tickets are going to go to to these other two characters. One of them is Sir Linda, who's a member of Black Squadron, which is Post Squadron, and 
Poe has the other two tickets and he is given Leia gives him the freedom to choose whoever he wants to to Wait, fill out the mission profile, right? What are you talking about right now? It's a book. Oh, it's a book. Okay. Yeah. It's like it's like I have never heard of Okay, no, carry on. Spoiler. Can continue. And and yeah. I he we don't we don't really know who he's picked at this point or maybe maybe we do. Um, and a, nobody else knows. That's for sure. I like nobody else knows who he's who he's chosen. And he goes to 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 board the ship or whatever to go off to this this auction. And Sir Alinda looks at him and goes like, "Oh yeah, th- here's the stuff for you." And then I the I there's a suit for uh, for Finn. And Poe looks at her and goes, "How did you?" How did you know that Finn was Aww. coming on the mission? And she's like, Poe, come on. <laughs> come on, Poe. Come on. Um, and which could be read as like, he's your best friend. Like if you could pick anybody to go on a mission with, it's like yeah. the teacher gave you the ability to choose your own pairs and you turned and, and the two of you went like, we're totally going to team up, right? Um, and and the moment when when Poe does go to Finn to say like hey man like I want you on this mission it's so good it is worth reading the book even though I've just said the moment it's worth reading the book just to get to that moment um it's so well done it's so good and uh uh Rebecca Roanhorse writes Finn so well that nice. like the the just sort of the way, and I listened to it on an audiobook, so it was a little bit of the the narrator's performance as well. But the the way that it's written is just punctuated in that perfect way that Finn talks, because Finn has a very specific cadence, um, mm-hmm. and she nailed it. She nailed Poe as well. Like like she got all of the characters incredibly right, um, which a lot of Star Wars writers don't. And sorry, what was her name again? Re- Rebecca Rowanhorse. Rebecca Rowanhorse. Okay, cool. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's it's probably one of the better Star Wars novels in in the last few years. Um, it was it was really fun, uh, and that moment between the two of them was great. But so it can just be read as them being friends, but it could also be read as these two. Right. Like like Poe definitely has feelings for Finn. Uh, If you want to read it that way, which I personally do. We don't really know what Finn's position is uh, on that whole in in that situation. Um, But the other part of that is that Finn is clueless. Right. So uh, there's another part in the in that book where where um, earlier on in the book, very early on in the story, he kind of he kind of asks Finn about. I, I, Rose and Ray to be mm-hmm. like, like, what's going on, man? Like you, like you, you seem to have these connections with these women and, and Finn <laughs> is like friends, just friends on both fronts. Like, right. I just, I love them, but like in a, like admiration, like, like friend way. Um, mm-hmm say friends more times than that yeah. but yeah and, and, but it's just like it to me that's really refreshing that like that as much as it would be really easy for finn to look at these these women that that surround him as as romantic partners um as potential romantic conquests let's say um they they've chosen to just make him kind of a little bit 
he's kind of the ideal platonic friend <laughs> of like he's yeah like beautiful women and they're also badasses and awesome and all of these great things that anybody would would be grateful uh to 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 be with either of them and he's like no man we're just friends can i just um so this is canon this resistance reborn yeah how come i didn't know about this uh, it makes me sad that there are things that exist that I don't know about. Because, because you're not because like, really you're not listening to any Star Wars podcasts or reading yeah. any Star Wars news sites. I know. You, but like this seems like I definitely need to read this before The Rise of Skywalker comes out. You absolutely like, need to read this before The Rise of uh, Skywalker comes out because look, otherwise yeah, I have some audible. Woo-hoo. Yeah. But otherwise it's otherwise it's not going to make sense to me. Like this is straight up like a bridge book mm-hmm. between the two. Yep. Oh, I'm so excited. Anyways, thank you for this. Is see the only Star Wars news I get is from being on podcasts on Star Wars. Oh dear, have we talked about the episode yet? I well, we like talked about it a lot at the at the front. So as much as okay. we're 45 minutes in, <laughs> I it, we we've we've talked about a lot of the stuff that that's in the episode notes, but um, um, this is just such good timing because I'm going on vacation tomorrow and. I am going to be on a plane and I could totally listen to this. Oh, yep. I'm so excited. Download it. Listen to it. It's yeah. a good one. Uh, cool. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get into the actual episode. Uh, yeah. So chapter two, the child, uh, directed by Rick Famuyiwa and, uh, written, uh, again by John Favreau. Um, and I, I, this episode, I, I, I was watching it. I watched it for the third time today on, on my commute home and uh, had a realization that this episode is actually, it's not an episode. It's not a star Wars episode. This is a really good episode of Samurai Jack, um, <laughs> which for anybody who ever, ever watched that show, that. there's a lot of people listening who will understand what I'm talking about, Amanda. Okay. I, I, so a lot of episodes of Samurai Jack would be um, completely silent. Not completely silent, but like no dialogue. Right. Gotcha. Um, okay. I, there there are actually entire episodes of that series where he doesn't speak a word. Um, and and the, the, the first, I don't know, probably like six or seven minutes of this episode, uh, he doesn't speak a word <laughs> it's not until we get to um back to to well, nobody has any idea how to say this guy's name uh uh Kewel, the the ugnot uh till we get back to his little farm his little homestead he's the first one to talk in the episode oh because it's all just fighting and stuff no doesn't he say does he say to get back in the thing or does he just put him back in the thing I feel like there's a thing where he's like, oh, maybe he does. Maybe he does say one line. Maybe he does say one line. One, because it's like not really an interaction. Yeah. And I was it was very conscious that it sort of seemed like very sort of one sided. So, yeah. Um, But in any case, like it's a long time in this episode before there's actually dialogue back and forth between two characters. Um, Right. Yeah. And 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 I just I think that that's so great that that the show is just. Uh, confident enough in the story that it has to tell right that uh let's start off with some action this nice fight between uh between the mandalorian and these trandoshans um 
uh, trivia for those who don't know, Trandoshans are the same species as Bosk from oh. Empire Strikes Back. Huh. I, I, you're acting like you've, you're hearing this for the first time, Amanda, but I told you this before we started recording. I don't think you told me that they're the same species. We talked a lot about them. I just don't remember yeah. any specific details. Okay, you know what? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, a cool fight, but the most important part of the fight, uh, other than the weird Star Trek overtones in it, um, uh, is reference to to a, a very famous fight between Kirk and a lizard man on in Star Trek. Uh, I the other important thing that that this establishes actually I guess there's two. Um, it establishes that he can control the the egg. The, the little carriage thing, the stroller. As yes. uh, my yes. wife called yes. it a stroller. Um, she was like, I, <laughs> I really want that stroller. Uh, oh, that's so funny because she's got mom brain because I wouldn't have ever considered it a stroller, but yeah. it totally, that's exactly it is. what that's it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He can control it with his gauntlet. He's kind of got it slave to the gauntlet where he can yeah. do motion controls to send it mm-hmm. away. And he does at one point. Um, it's really cool. He like tells it exactly where to go with the yeah. little buttons. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the other thing that, that's really important that we establish is the rifle. So we've seen the rifle shock because we saw him use it mm-hmm. on the the walrus creature in the first episode. Um, but then we get to see him use it. He uses it again to shock another to, to shock one of the Trandoshans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we get to see him actually fire with it and it disintegrates the Trandoshan. Um, which is in itself a reference back to Boba Fett and the, the exchange that he has with Darth Vader on the, the, the executor, his star destroyer, uh, where Vader turns to him and says, no disintegrations. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, and then Boba says, as you wish. And he's the only one of the bounty hunters that gets any dialogue. Um, so yeah, we kind of we're. I think we're led to believe that this weapon is a Mandalorian weapon, and that this is the sort of right. thing that Boba Fett would have done. Um, yeah. No, that makes that makes that makes sense. I like it. I yeah. see. This is why I like. This is why we listen to podcasts, so you can get all the decent information exactly. all um, together, and it enhances your viewing experience. <laughs> from there, thank you for explaining the purpose of a podcast. <laughs> uh, from there, we get the scene of him fixing his armor. Which is really cool too. We saw a little bit of it when when the the armorer was what the when she was making his pauldron. We saw a little bit of like the technology aspect of it, but it's right. cool to see him like take the chest plate off and to see that it's uh, there is actually an electrical component to it. Yeah, and it, the thing I like is that it sets up, and I mean, because I, I know that this is probably like not news to other people but the idea of like the importance of the armor and that it's not just any armor like it reinforces that because it's like very technological and special because that's the thing like when they talk to the jawas and how it's like thug that's like obviously he's like of course you can't have his armor it's yes. like what is it bespin bespin armor no bespin is the planet is the cloud city planet okay beskar beskar is, okay is the, the armor the metal that's the 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 ingots that he's gonna get paid in and that gotcha yeah yeah yeah. and beskar is that i don't i think i just don't know much about Beskar. that's why but sorry it's beskar has never actually been referred to in canon until the mandalorian oh as i as far as i recall there might be 
maybe there's a brief reference to it in Star Wars Rebels, but yeah, I don't think I think that they just kind of talk about it as Mandalorian armor. But Beskar comes from the expanded universe, comes from one of the novels. Um, and that's the metal Mandalorian steel is made from Beskar. Uh, and unlike I, I, the plastoid armor that stormtroopers and clone troopers wear, which just um, the purpose of plastoid is, is that it's, it's definitely armor for like blunt force, but it, it, it might stop a blaster at long range, but at close range, it's not going to do anything. Um, but it's like the clone troopers and stormtroopers mostly wear armor for enforcer reasons, right? It's just to make them faceless security mall cops. Um, (laughs) it's not really there to stop anything, but, but Beskar, as we've seen a couple of times on this show already, uh, it, it actually deflects blaster bolts. Um, if the EU lore still stands, it's resistant, like lightsabers bounce off of it. Um, in the sense, like they'll like glance off of it. Like it's, you could still put a lightsaber through Beskar, but it's not going to slice through it. Like it would through a clone trooper right? right. or a stormtrooper. So, um, yeah, it's, and, and up until now, the, the idea of the Mandalorian armor was just that it was made of this indestructible steel. Um, and there was, sort of in the in the eu there's a lot of stuff about like boba falling into the sarlacc and he fights his way out and the only reason that he manages to survive is because of his armor it it keeps him alive because it the acid can't eat away at it right um but uh but the eu doesn't exist anymore and boba fett's dumb so it doesn't matter (laughs) uh but uh people who listen to my podcasts know how i feel about boba fett um But yeah, we get to see sort of the in, the inner workings of it, and it's it's a little bit unclear as to what all of that circuitry is doing. But I guess it's doing something. I mean, um, maybe we'll find out later. Yeah, be some sort of special like fight mode in his armor or something. It turns, <laughs> like transformer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he turns into a car, flies yeah. away. Um, we did talk about the baby puppet. Like the fact that it, that baby Yoda is a puppet. Yeah. Did we talk about that yet? No. And how that's the best part. I had like the the idea of like the roots of like as a twelve year old child, I like had a reverence for Frank Oz specifically because of Yoda. And so it's really cool for them to be like taking this like storytelling trope of like puppet puppetry. Puppetry is like such a cool thing that's underutilized mm-hmm. in storytelling. And so it's so awesome. And this is what I think the new generation of Star Wars storytellers are really realizing. And the best thing I think to come from the prequels is that people realize that you need to have tangible things to build this world and make it feel like Star Wars. So because and because there was a lack of that in the prequels. And I think that that is, for me, one of the greatest things to see and what makes me realize that they have a real reference for the actual world yeah. that they're working in when they take something so important and they like realize that what makes it grounded and, and real in this surreal world is, yeah. to, is to have it tangible. Um, in defense of George Lucas uh, and the prequels, he was pioneering that technology, right? Just, so. Yeah. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. No, but no, you, but yeah, but 
but that's a that's a very 2019 perspective to have of it. Of course it is. And in 1999, 20 years ago, I nobody else had done it, so we didn't know what the pitfalls were at the time. So it's really easy for red letter media to look at it at that point, 10, 15 years removed from the movie having been made. Actually, all three of them having been made, look at the prequels and go like, that's what's wrong with them. Everybody's in front of blue screens. They're all just walking on these long platforms all the time. So that's why there's no sense of urgency in the movie like that's that's what's wrong with them i said it was one of the best learning outcomes from yeah yeah yeah. but but i'm just saying like like we only know that now because george lucas made the prequels and because whoever made sky captain made sky captain um (laughs) let's not talk about that movie any more than we have to but Right, like, like it, it, we wouldn't have that lesson learned now if it weren't for somebody with a pioneering spirit going like, what if we just, what if the whole set was blue screen and we just figure it out later? Can we do that? Like, can we make this a gigantic, ca- like, cavernous chamber? Uh, and it's like, well, if it's blue screen, we can do whatever we want, right? Um so yeah, like we know now that like yeah, you can do that, but it's actually better to to uh to have it there for the actors. You're going to get better performances. You're going to you're going to uh, uh get better blocking, <laughs> which I I don't George Lucas also didn't care about that stuff. Um but uh, cuz it's not the type of filmmaker he is, but yeah, I mean John Favreau obviously is a is 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 much more uh, interested in that stuff. And the other part of it is that the technology is just better now so uh, a lot of the i uh, on phantom menace they created previs like that term didn't oh, right. really exist um and it did it, animatics were a thing previously which is where they would do like and actually return of the jedi is the first time they ever did animatics where they they basically used toys to create the speeder bike chase and what? then, then, like they they filmed it, cut it together, and went okay. That's what we're gonna do. And then they built all the models and puppets that they needed, and the and the full scale stuff, filmed what they needed, and then kind of matched it up to the to the sequence that they filmed. Uh, and that was the first animatic. And uh, and then on on um, the Phantom Menace, they started doing CG pre visualization in order to figure out the action sequences and stuff for the pod race and for the final battle and whatnot. Um, and now we've gotten to the point where previs it can be done so quickly because our computers are so powerful and the, the tools are so, so sort of ubiquitous. People are so good with them that they're using, they're actually using unreal engine, which is a video game engine to do real time, uh, it's not even previs stuff now. Like they basically, they have set extensions uh, on this show that are LED walls and that sort of thing, or like projection, like rear projection uh, walls that show the CG environment for the for the, the oh, actors yeah, to work yeah, off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and uh, it's based on some of the interviews and stuff. It sounds like a lot of the space stuff in future episodes is going to use that 
um, a lot. And, and the other part of it that's really great is that then you get natural lighting off of those elements. Um, and, uh, and, and so you get a better, you know, more seamless match for the, for the, the actors to the, to the background element. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is hard to do with CG and blue screens. It's kind of always the thing that, that throws it off the most, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this episode, I think when we look at it, it's a lot of natural environments, but who knows how often they were actually in those natural environments that might, there might actually be a lot of stuff that was set extensions and, and, uh, and studio stuff. It's just, they just did a really good job of it, but the, but the puppet Yoda, baby Yoda is, it's less about, um, we can do this better with a puppet than with CG. I think they could actually with, with today's technology, given all of the time and resources, uh, that a movie would have, they could have done that character completely convincing in a great way, but because it's a, uh, they're on a TV schedule, uh, it makes more sense to use a puppet because then we don't have to do renders. Then it is on set. It's right. Like there's less, um, kind of less overhead for it. Um, and that's, and that determines a lot of the, the, choices in technology on on this show specifically John Favreau has talked about it a lot I would also say though that it also leads to certain elements of acting like the it's really one of the things between the Yoda in the prequels and the Yoda in like Empire is that the the walking and the movement that you see like the full body Yoda is just like there's like that weird sort of quality to him that's like so in my first experiences of Yoda right like it was odd to see him sort of having this full capability when he was walking because CG can just show you Yoda moving but like there's certain movement that when you have a puppet that you have to control with strings and the movement like the joints aren't quite the same as what you can get in a rig right and in like a 3D rig and how they move and and things like that so it's just like really cool to see that be put into the in, mm. into it as well because like that little baby toddling like how cute is the little toddling Yoda? <laughs> yeah anyway sorry i just there's so many things that i'm like yeah. yes so good um let's jump ahead to the to the sand crawler so the the jawas have have yeah. uh, dismantled the razor crest god the jawas are such a little a-holes yeah jawas are the worst so mad. um i have more to say about them later but uh yeah jawas are just the worst um <laughs> But so one of the interesting things to me is I, I sand crawlers in the expanded universe. I Jawa sand crawlers. I, I trying to remember where, what source material I, I got this from. I think it might've been the essential guide to vehicles, um, which is a, just a, a source book of like, here's all of the schematics of these fake starships and vehicles from star Wars and whatnot. Um, the idea that the, each sand crawler is actually unique because they're built from scraps. Like they're not, it's not like it's manufactured. Right. Um, but this sand crawler looks identical to the one from a new hope. So I don't know if we've gotten confirmation of what planet this is all happening on. Um, it could very well be Tatooine. There's no reason why, why it couldn't um but uh but we don't know and we don't like are these are these the the descendants of the jawas (laughs) that i 
I would imagine most of them were slaughtered in a new hope by the empire, <laughs> but, uh, or some other jaw was found their sand crawler and took it over and whatever. But, uh, or, or, or now our sand crawlers all the same. The thing that was the coolest to me to like delve into, and this is actually maybe a question that you can answer is because you're talking about Tatooine now. And I felt like the world that he was on before he left and went to this world, I was like, Hey, there's a lot of Tatooine on this world because like the, the like eyeball that comes out and like, there's just like technology that seems like, so if it's not Tatooine, it needs to be in the same sort of system and area because it would make sense that the technology would travel within like that same, that specific realm. Like if these are like the outer mm. like planets that are in a specific, like, I don't know. It just like all felt very Tatooine to me. And so it's like, there's something I feel like it's definitely what you're saying now about the idea of like Jawa's, and like, what is the vehicle like origin and where are we actually? It was something that I was thinking about the whole time I was watching this episode, mm -hmm. just because there was so many little things that also made me realize that I feel really cool about like knowing all of those little things. That if you're like watching the show that you wouldn't like, again, if you're not <laughs> someone that's overanalyzing all the little things <laughs> where you go like, hey, wait, this planet looks the same as the other planet. Yeah. Is it actually like anyways? Yeah. Well, it would be it would be yet another desert planet <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of desert yeah. planets in star wars now yeah but uh but there would be a lot of desert planets just in general um yeah, yeah I, I don't know i mean yeah, i don't know that we'll ever get a clear answer on that unless somebody tells us what planet it is or specifically mm -hmm. says like explicitly tells us yeah mm -hmm. this is the same sand crawler from a new hope um because it's very similar um, mm -hmm. if not identical um, but I really loved I I the the number of references in the uh, the the whole Sandcrawler sequence. Um, there's the really really obvious Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade reference uh, with oh. the the smashing against the the rock yeah. wall yeah, um, yeah. and him just narrowly avoiding it. That's a uh, that's a direct reference. There's no way that that's a mistake. Uh, knowing Dave Filoni as well as I do and his, uh, his, his tendency to make references uh, to other Lucasfilm stuff as well. Just references in general. I mean, Clone Wars and Rebels are full of all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, one of the ones that I think that, that people might not notice necessarily uh, is that uh, I, the, the, climbing the outside of the sand crawler uh, to get inside and get his stuff back is very reminiscent of both the NES and the, the SNES games for a new hope. Um, in the NES one, you you're on the inside of it, but, um, but it's very similar of like, you have to kind of climb through it and there's Jawas all over the place doing all sorts of obnoxious stuff. But in super star Wars for the super Nintendo, um, it's you very specifically have to climb the outside of the sand crawler to get inside it in order huh? to rescue R2. Cool. It doesn't follow the story of the movie very well, but I, uh, I, there are Jawas that like open windows and, and throw things at you. <laughs> and so I watched this and that was the first thing that I thought was, was that's a, that feels like a reference to, to super star Wars. So I don't know if that actually is, or if it's just a happy coincidence, but uh, I love the idea that like most people have been watching Star Wars and looking at the Sandcrawler and going like, okay, it's just a big, just a big box, and uh, and now we know that a lot of those little greeblies, a lot of those squares on the side of it, they're actually just like windows, like they can they can open up so that Jawas can throw things at people. <laughs> I love it. Um, 
and and they're the sand crawler is just full of junk so there's always something to throw um <laughs> but yeah and then when he eventually he tosses that one jawa off um like out the window and it just thumps on the ground and it just <laughs> it's so visceral the sound and the and the graphic of it it's just like yeah that 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 guy's not having a good day i uh, <laughs> And then he gets to the top, and they and they zap him with the thing, the same weapon that they used on R two, and yeah. uh, and he, uh, and then he goes thwomp. Uh, he falls like that's got to be like four or five it's, stories. Well, you think he's like maybe not gonna get up? Like it does yeah. seem like he should. Yeah. Oh, can I say how cool it was? And I'm jumping ahead now to the like the ladder fight sequence because I will say that we have been podcasting for a while and yeah. I don't see a problem with that. Um, but that um, when they do the like in and out of consciousness thing, because it's so odd because he has a helmet and you can't see his eyes. Yeah. And it's just such a cool use of that like trope and, and like, I don't know. But like it, it's just really interesting that you can get these sort of like emotions and beats with a, like the main character in this show wears a helmet. Like you can't see his face. Yeah. But you're getting a lot of emotion and details and it's really cool. Yeah. I wish they hadn't done the weird slow motion part or if you're going to do slow motion, you have to film it in slow motion. I hate it when they do the, the post-processing slow motion. Um, But yeah, yeah, I did like that. Yeah. They, it was, they very clearly communicated the story without us being able to see him drifting in and out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but after he's gets his butt kicked by the Jawas, he goes and he enlists the help of uh, of of Kewel and uh, I. I <laughs> I love when he he he's talking to him. And he's like, "This is what all the fuss was about." <laughs> oh yeah, like this <laughs> this little thing. Um, and one of the things that I really love about it is the kind of the indifference towards this living creature. Um, and, uh, and the Mandalorian says like, Oh, I, I think it's a child. And Huel responds with just like, well, you should probably deliver it alive then. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, is, is murdering it still on the table? Is that, <laughs> is that still part of the discussion? Cause at this point I think we like, it's too adorable to kill. Um, but, uh, but, but the world is just kind of so gray and 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 murky that that even heroic characters or our protagonist characters i we're not sure which way they lean and and sort of what they're capable of i I like that uh i like that that despite all odds this little this little frogling is still uh uh, surviving uh because everybody else seems to want it dead I don't. No. Um, <laughs> although it was pretty gross when it ate the frog. That was... <laughs> I mean, yeah. But then it giggles, the little giggle afterwards. Come on, everything about it is so cute. I just can't even with it. Yeah. Um, from there we go to dealing with the jobs. We kind of talked about that already, the whole speaking. And, and they say, like, oh, you sound like a Wookiee. Okay. Um, <laughs> and he's got to go get it. So they want his armor. They want the, the child. They just want anything of value, and uh, eventually they strike a deal that that the Mandalorian's got to go get the egg, uh, uh, Suga, as the the Jawas refer to it. And it it would be obnoxious 
if a they weren't Jawas, so it's <laughs> it's okay because that is keeping with what they are. Um, and b it it allows us for the moment when they're actually in the sandcrawler, and the guy's driving it, and he turns, and he just he just looks at the Mandalorian, and he just goes ah suga, <laughs> and uh, and then they go over the bump, and he hits his head. Um, and what people might not, not uh, recognize the sound effect, but when when the helmet hits the the roof of the sandcrawler, it makes a really distinct sort of ting sound, and that sound effect is the same sound effect um, that they use in Attack of the Clones when Django hits his head. <laughs> on um it, there's like going when after he fights obi-wan and he he jumps up onto slave one as it's taking off as he's going in he hits his head on the on the door as it's coming down <laughs> that is a reference to a new hope and one of the stormtroopers in the scene when um after after luke and han have left uh, luke han and chewie have left 3po and r2 in that room in that, that control room and say like, Oh, lock the doors. Um, and the stormtroopers get it open and they come in a bunch of them come in and one of them hits his head as he's coming in. And, and the stormtrooper goes like, I'll do this and see to him. And, uh, it's because like they did, they, they did that take so many times. And this one guy, this one stormtrooper was just too tall and he couldn't see anything in the helmet. He just kept, hitting it that eventually it was like, just leave it in and just like, we'll just do it. So um, there's just like that thread of the stormtroopers being references to like the clone troopers being references to them and the clone troopers coming from Django. So this whole connection and then carried through into the Mandalorian um, with the same sound effect. I just thought that was a cool, that was a cool connection through, uh, through all three sagas. Wow. uh, Through all three eras. So, um, yeah. I, I just like I I beg you to find a more referential series than Star Wars. Like honestly, yeah. it can't it can't exist without referencing the rest of it. It just like makes it so much richer. I no, it's just back and forth all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because yeah. it has a language, right? So it's like it's got this this specific kind of like coded language, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people get so excited about it and so into it is that like you can feel a part of it by like when you know things that other people don't know, you've kind of been talking about that, right? Like we play star Wars trivia. You're like, well, I actually know what that planet's called and it's not a planet. It's a moon, right? <laughs> like it, there's just like a cool pride to that. And I think that that's what, that's what creates the tribalism that leads to people harassing other people on Twitter because they don't like Luke Skywalker and the last Jedi. But uh-huh on the positive side of it, it makes people feel like they belong to a community. So it all, it all balances itself out at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, he's got to go get this egg from a beast and the beast is a big woolly rhinoceros monster. Um, and it beats the crap out of him. It just beats hey. the snot out of the Mandalorian. And I like it. Cause it shows like, as much as this guy is awesome, he's not indestructible. He's not perfect. He can't just win, right? Like, he doesn't just have a win button on his gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has like, to actually fight for stuff, yeah. He's about to die. 
in yeah. this fight. Like he he does everything he can think. He tries all of his tricks. Um, I said to Crystal while we were watching, he would have died if he had a jetpack, because that's how both Django, both Django and Boba Fett die because of their jetpacks. Um, it's a it's just a it's just an awful like yeah jetpacks are a terrible idea. They are not safe. Um, but I I he's he he resolves like the he's he's gonna die this thing's gonna kill him and he just gets the knife out and he's he's kind of resigned to the idea of like well at least if i'm gonna die i'm gonna take this thing with me um (laughs) so he's just waiting for it to come and that's when that's when we get the reveal that was hinted at earlier when the when the child was trying to um very clearly trying to use the force to heal the mandalorian yeah i saw that yeah um that that this 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 little uh, baby Yoda's got it's got the force because he likes and he likes he likes the Mandalorian. Yeah. I just love it's so cute. I don't understand. This is like you chose probably the best person to podcast on this episode with you because all I'm going to do is rage about how cute baby Yoda is. It is super in everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he. You, sorry. Can I just say that Mike has notes that he prepared for this, and it's the cutest thing. He where one of his points is baby Yoda is tuckered out, and yep. I just like <laughs> it's the best. He just, just he just needs a nap. He just he just exhausts himself. Yeah. Um. But he like lifts this rhinoceros. Like what the hell? Yeah. Like He's... what is going on with this? Like we're gonna find out before the end of the series what he is, right? Because like I feel like that's very important, and I'll be mad if they don't answer that question. Well, I mean, I think he is what he is. I if you're, I think if you're looking for a connection to an existing character, uh, the connection is there in as much as it he he is what he is, <laughs> right? Um, Fine. I don't think that we're gonna find out that this is actually Yoda's child. Right. Well, like, I know, but the people are speculating. Like, is it a clone? Is it part of a larger species? What mm. is the larger species? Is it a, is it Baby Yoda time traveling? Which is my highest theory right now <laughs> because I will say that they Star Wars has not introduced time travel yet, at least in anything that I am aware of. Has it introduced time travel? Uh, in the expanded universe, there is a form of time travel mm. through the Force, um, where you can. I using the ability to uh, see into like to foresee into the future, which not all Jedi can do, but the ones that can Um, and Ben Solo, no Ben Solo, no Jason Solo is the one who uh, Ben Solo is Kylo Ren. Jason Solo, uh, he, uses this ability as well as the ability to basically leave an impression of himself in the force to kind of record a message for when his sister shows up at a certain location. Um, and because he's using the force to predict what she's going to say, they have a conversation back and forth. Um, So he's not actually traveling to the future, but he's seeing one of many possible futures and interacting with that future from his present. If that makes sense using the force, but uh, that's the closest thing. Not quite strong enough to time travel a baby Yoda. So there is one other example. So the other example is that there's a, there's a place called the world between worlds. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in Star Wars Rebels, it shows up, but not everybody has seen Star Wars Rebels and it is on Disney Plus, so I'm not going to spoil that. Ooh, yeah. um, just know that, that there is something something and time travel, it does end up involved in it, but it's it's not really time travel. Gotcha. Kind of different. Kind of different. I mean, yeah. And I will, I just, because people who are listening to this might not know me well enough to realize that, like, I straight up, I don't actually want it to be time travel. I hope people are aware that I, like, yeah. I'm okay with it. I just, like, I, but I, as a time travel enthusiast, feel there's always room for time travel and things. But I really just, I don't know. I guess that, that I have to be okay with, like, you're, you're, you're enlightening me to one of the things that I always find really frustrating about watching new shows is that like, I always feel like you need to have like it answer a question for you. And like, you're like, but why can't it just be what it is? And so when you said that, I was like, but, but I want to know more (laughs) to just like, it can't just be what it is, but it can be at the same time. Fine. I don't need an answer. It's just a cute little Yoda that (laughs) he has to deal with throughout this series. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so they come back with, uh, he does kill the thing, he gets the egg, it's a furry egg, which is very weird, they take it back. Super weird. Uh, and uh, and you think, you're think you thinking, like, what do the Jawas want with this egg? Are they, they're probably going to want to eat it, but maybe they want it because they want one of these creatures or yeah. whatever. And they get it back to them, and the Jawa just, this is where Star Wars really shines. Is in this moment. <laughs> they have like a little almost a ceremony of like the obviously the leader of these Jawas takes the egg and he holds it up and he's like, Suga. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Suga. And they're all excited about this thing. And he hands it to another guy and then he pulls out a machete. And <laughs> in just this really great moment that I just love the visual of it. He draws back and then just in one clean stroke, just caps the thing and it falls off and then he just sticks his hand in and pulls out orange goo and it's just like suga and then they all just go for it and it's just like jawas are disgusting they're filthy (laughs) little creatures as uh uh c-3po said in a new hope and uh uh I despise them. They're the worst. But <laughs> uh, but also, it's, it's just like this episode wouldn't be as much fun as it is without these disgusting, disgusting junk thieves. They're thieves. They just steal stuff. Yeah. Um, so they get the, they get the pieces and then they go back and they and they they rebuild the ship. And I, I really like the line where I he's like them. he's like, oh, man, it's a. Uh, it's going to take forever to do this. We don't yeah. have a full shop. Like it's even, yeah. even with that, this would take days. And, uh, and kills like, it might go faster if you help. Yeah. And I love that thing. It's just so great. <laughs> Such a great character. Um, <laughs> they build it. And uh, I, I, it's, it's unclear how long it takes them, but I'm going to go ahead and say that it took them at least a day or two. Um, well, it is Because like, I feel like Yoda slept for a while. Yeah. Like, Boda. What do I call him? Baby Yoda. How do I? The child, Baby Yoda. But how do I like abbreviate it? It can't be Boda because that's weird. But like, how do you make it one? Like, what is the abbreviation? I wish we knew what their like race was. Whatever. Froggy. Um. So yeah, they 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 put it all back together, and uh, the Mandalorian is pretty impressed. 
with uh, with Kuehl and is like, "Hey man, why don't you come with me? I'll I'll pay you." <laughs> and yeah. I love his his response where he says, "I've worked a lifetime to finally be free of servitude," and there's just this. I don't know, like it. It's just really refreshing to see a character with, I think, perceived low status, mm-hmm. be treated with such respect by another, like a, a character of like perceived high status, right? Yeah. Where it's like the Mandalorian has no obligation to this guy, really. I mean, like he's helped him and and whatnot. So he's like, I'll pay you, and he's like, I don't want to be paid. He's like, Will you come with me? He's like, I don't want to come with you. Um, at which point, like, I think that a lot of lazy, much lazier writers would be like, all right, fine, whatever. Um, they, they might not even explore this whole avenue, but John Favreau is, is, he's just, I love the nuance that he puts into the stuff that he writes because here's the Mandalorian who is uh, ostensibly one of the most badass characters in the Star Wars mythos at this point. Um, the helmet does a lot to help that. But he's done some really cool stuff already in two episodes, um, and uh, and and obviously he's got a history. He's the best in the parsec, blah blah blah, all that. And yet, he encounters this little pig man on this desert planet that helps him for no reason, with no thought of reward, just simply for the fact of like, you seem like the best man for the job, and I really just want to chill. Like I just want to hang out on my farm and be left alone. <laughs> uh, and you are a means to an end like to that end and and by the end of it they're they're not really friends they're not comrades they're not really like but there's this mutual respect um and and i just love that i love i love that the mandalorian looks at this guy and goes like i would have been screwed without you so I'm going to try and, you know, like, like compensate you for this. But when you don't want compensation, I just accept it. Right. Um, there's no frustration. There's no, he's like, can't argue with that. Like you, you, you've earned it. Mm -hmm. See you later. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then he takes off and, and just before the credits roll, little baby Yoda wakes up, just kind of leans forward, uh, (laughs) in his, in his little crib stroller thingy. Uh, and we're and we're off to to the next episode. Yay! I am sad that we're not going to see the like it's an Agna, right? That's what yeah, yeah. again because it's because I assume like he's not going to be in. Like I feel like that was just like I think that's a safe that assumption. Was what that was yeah, it's yeah, a safe assumption, which is good. And I yeah. I like that they're like rich, really cool like characters in each of these episodes and. Like like powerhouses too. Like I I know that this is episode two, but in episode one, wasn't the like robot voiced by Taika Waititi or something? Yep. And like we're not gonna see him again. And that was like a pretty heavy hitter for like that episode. Ooh, just... I wouldn't be so sure. Really? But he yep. got blown up in the head. Well, he got shot, but okay. He, but he's a he, he wanted to self destruct himself for a reason. Oh, right. Okay. And I like they made such a big point of that that I'm. I think that we're going to see that character again. Oh, okay. I mean, it would make sense because it's voiced by an important person. So also there's more than one IG droid. There's more than one. I named IG droid in star Wars. There's IG 88 and there's IG 11, which is the one that we see in the Mandalorian. So, um, yeah, uh, theoretically Taika Waititi voices, all of them. Um, so yeah, we might see another IG droid. Whoever sent IG 11 might send IG 22. (laughs) 
right? right? So, um, cool. How many episodes are there in The Mandalorian? Because now I'm excited. And I know people are complaining about the the length of this episode, like how it was only 30 minutes, but I will say... It was very exciting to me that I could just like, it's like bite-sized pieces of Star Wars. It's as long as it needs to be. Yeah, exactly. And that there's no rule. It can be 36 minutes. Yeah. It can be 31 minutes. It's going to be the storytelling equivalent of time that it requires. Like, it's great. I'm very excited. So I know that that might annoy some people, but I'm very excited to not know how long each of the episodes are going to be. So Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's jump into the mailbag and see what everybody else thought of it. Cool. So uh, we've got uh, a Facebook post from John Morales who writes, uh, loved it, need more. My wife, who isn't a big Star Wars fan, was surprised when it was over because she thought only 10 minutes had passed. She was having that much fun. Uh, P.S. Now that the child is known, I hope there are plans to get the plushies on the market right away. They would be a holiday must have. I think it'll probably be a minute before we're able to get any of these, but uh, but I'll be surprised if there's not something at some point. Yeah, I love that there's like so many spoilers on the internet right now yeah. too. About like it's hard to, I mean it's hard to keep it under wraps. I feel like everybody's talking well, about it. Well, Disney Disney uh, the Star Wars Twitter account posted an image of of the character today so um yeah so the the spoiler warning is officially lifted but yeah yeah that's on the existence of that character don't go telling people what happened in episodes but um and then over on twitter uh, uh martin allman uh, at dharmit studios wrote loved it even if the episode was only 30 minutes the episode did not disappoint it was perfectly paced i do wonder if most of the episodes are going to be around the 30 minute mark uh, great second episode. I can't wait for more. Uh, and then uh, and then we got an email from Sherston, who is a regular writer over on Quiver the Green Arrow podcast, which is the podcast that Amanda and I usually host together. And um, who I have never seen a uh, name written next to the pronunciation and probably have been pronouncing it wrong in my head. So Sherston, I apologize. <laughs> but yeah. it's good. Thank you for the for the yeah. phonetic spelling, though. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. uh, I'll keep it short. First, I love the music, and I agree. I definitely need a baby frogling plushie right away. <laughs> I love the minimal dialogue, too. I am already in love with the Mando, and we know very little about him. That's some damn good storytelling. So, yeah, yeah I think I think safe to say everybody who's listening to this podcast uh, uh, is is all about the Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious, so I, I would love it if people could write in and let us know. Um, what are your non-geek, non-Star Wars friends saying about the Mandalorian so far? Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I really want to know uh, what the what the sort of general consensus is out there uh, in the in the larger galaxy. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I cool. Um, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Amanda, for popping yeah. on and doing. This is your first Star Wars podcast. It is. I want to say that I, I've done, we have podcasted about Star Wars. Yeah. On other things and did like the full sequence of the of the thunder quack that was like the Star Wars countdown. But this is, I think, my first time being on because I got it in early enough. Mike 
recommended that I podcast on one of the earlier ones so that I only have to catch up on two episodes rather than the whole series. So, but I think it's going to be nice for me to now just be able to watch the Mandalorian because I want to watch it rather than because I'm podcasting, which is really exciting. So I'm, I'm pleased to have been on it. Um, thank you for creating all the awesome podcasts for me to be on mic and require very little from me Mm -hmm. aside from showing up. So it's awesome. Um, and I'm excited to see where this goes. It's going to be good, man. Like I, it's, I don't know. It already is good. So yeah. it's fun. It's fun. It's a fun, good Star Wars time. I love that they're expanding beyond the, you know, the small little world that some people think Star Wars needs to stay inside. And I just yeah. highly disagree. It's fun and just continue to have fun and make cool things. Um, yeah, cool. Well, I will be back next week um, with a with a completely different uh, set of hosts. I won't be here. Uh, but Matt will be back, and uh, uh, I'm not 100% sure who he's being joined by. I think I think maybe it's Tim and Kyle. Maybe it's Jason and Kyle. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's Tim and Paul or Kyle and Paul. I don't know. Look We're going to have a whole uh, uh, list of rotating uh, hosts on this show. But for the most part, um, either Matt or I will be on every episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, look forward to that next week, uh, and uh, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Faster More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.